Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. You guys, my heart is skipping a beat. I... (laughs) I'm like really mom geeking out right now because I have Lee Overtree on the phone with me. Moms who know Story Pirates podcast, you just, I I know that you also were just like, (laughs) so let me share Lee's bio quickly so that we can get to this conversation with him. He was so sweet when I asked him for a short bio to read on air. He was like, you can cut whatever you want. And then I'm reading it. And after I picked my jaw up off the floor, I was like, I got to read this whole thing. It's 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 crazy how much you've accomplished in such a short time because we're both so young, Lee. Lee Overtree is co-founder and artistic director for The Story Pirates and is the producer and co-host of The Story Pirates podcast. Along with co-writer Hunter Bell, he received a Drama Desk nomination for Outstanding Book of a Musical for Found at the Atlantic Theater Company. Lee is directed at the Williamstown Theater Festival, Center Theater Group, the Philadelphia Theater Company, New York Stage and Film, the American Music Theater Project, Godspeed, the Kennedy Center, the Geffen Playhouse, Berkshire Theater Group, the Mystic Aquarium, the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, and the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles. He is taught at the Atlantic Acting School and currently serves on the faculty of the National Theater Institute at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center. He's on Atomic Moms today to talk about all things Story Pirates, uh, which is quite an enormous universe these days. It includes a best-selling YA book, performances across the country, elementary school-created writing workshops in underserved communities, and even a music album. It's also the crazy popular family-friendly podcast that we have playing in our car at all times about a bunch of Story Pirates who steal children's stories and turn them into sketch comedy or songs. I mean, they don't really steal the stories. Kids submit them. And then they even actually get to talk to them on the show. Their brand new season launches January 31st. And I love the comedic moments between the pirates, Megan, Peter, Rachel, and Lee. Um, They have these like funny little sketches between the stories. So here's an example of a clip from one of our favorite episodes, How to Make a Basketball Plant. Our guest today is the first voice you'll hear. Yeah, you know, I'm realizing that outside of recording and rehearsing this podcast, we actually don't spend very much time socializing and talking to each other on the ship. You know, I think that's that's true. Hey, you know what we need? A place to hang out, talk, converse. Or like how in New York, I would always hang out in the theater district in those restaurants with caricatures of famous people on the wall. Oh, did restaurants have pictures of you on the walls? Sorry, I couldn't hear your question. Anyway, what we need on this ship is a bustling cafe restaurant slash bistro. We could run it ourselves. A Story Pirates owned and operated bistro restaurant slash cafe on board a ship in the middle of the ocean. Hey, that's not a bad idea. I'll be able to go there to write my screenplay. It's about a woman who lives on a ship surrounded by a bunch of backstabbing, scene-stealing fools. Wow, I watched that. And and I'll be able to stop by whenever I wanted a fun, fancy snack. Oh, and I could work in the kitchen and also help build all the chairs. Ooh, yeah, chairs are very important. And I'll have another thing to be in charge of, which is honestly very important to me. Hooray! (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms Podcast. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, so Lee, the story pirates are like the superheroes in our house. 
you have saved me from so many meltdowns because I'll brag right now and be Uh, like, my daughter's super into technology, but really that just means she's super into like begging for screen time. And instead, (laughs) I will put on Story Pirates like in the Alexa, like put it in her room and she'll just like listen to it and sing along to it and color while she's listening. Um, And it makes me feel like a good parent and you have saved me so much on babysitting money. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> what What's the origin story of the Story Pirates? Like, how did you create this whole world, and how far back does it go for you guys? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. All the moms that I know were very excited when I told them I was going to be on your podcast, so thanks for giving me some street cred. <laughs> very sweet of um, you. Or some mom cred. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, I'm so happy to hear that about screen time versus podcasts, because I hear that so much that podcasts for kids is becoming an alternative to screen time that kids are really into. And I think that is exciting that we found a way to get kids, you know, excited about, you know, whatever they're consuming, but it's not on a screen is really important and hard to do. It's cool. And you have to deal with it every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's like a new, it's a new question. It's a new issue every single day. It's like, what do we do today about screen time? And so many parents I'm hearing are using podcasts in that way. It's, I think it's awesome. Just had a podcast uh, a few weeks ago that I released with my girlfriends, Claire Coffee and Bridget Maloney Sinclair, both of whom you know. And we were complaining. I know them both. <laughs> about, uh, by the way, Claire says hi. She got very excited hi, via, via text about it. She was like, oh my God, we were in acting class together for so many years. He's the best. Da, da, da. You know, we were complaining about the kids being out of school and like, what do you do with them? And so I can't wait Mm -hmm. for this new season of your podcast because we have listened to all of your old ones so many times. But getting back to the original question that you're about to answer before I interrupted you, like when did this start for you? Yeah. So the origin story, well, it started as Claire could tell you or Bridget could tell you, it started with a student group at Northwestern University where I met those two and I met so many amazing artists over the years uh, there's a student group at Northwestern called Griffin's Tale, and Griffin's Tale did a similar thing where we took stories from kids in the North Shore of Chicago and then went to elementary schools and performed the stories for the kids who wrote them. And it was a transformative experience for me. It really felt like when I found that student group that I sort of found my creative home for the first time, and and it really stayed stayed with me. And so I graduated from college. I moved to New York. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't really know how to start. I didn't know how to play the game. I didn't know how to like pound the pavement, you know? Mm -hmm. So I managed to get a role or two at a children's theater called the Vital Children's Theater in the city. And Through that experience, I managed to convince them to let me direct a show. And when it came time to decide what show, I was like, let's do that thing sort of like we did in college. And I called up a lot of friends from school and invited them to come do the show with me. And that was the first Story Pirates show. That was like 2003, I think. 
really long time ago. <laughs> we were really young and didn't know what we were doing, but we were excited about making something together. And we were excited about kids' words and ideas. And and it's completely blows me away that I'm still excited about kids' words and ideas <laughs> because you'd think I'd be sick of it by now, but I'm not. <laughs> there mu- everyone must have had so much hair back then in 2003 also. Oh, my God. And we were so skinny. We were all so skinny. <laughs> was that first show, uh, was there a school component to that? Or when did you first bring it to, you know, the classroom? When we did that first show, we didn't know any parents or kids <laughs> or teachers in the city. We were like, we were like 22. So we didn't know anybody. And so I, at the time, was working at a nonprofit called Change for Kids. I was drumming in kindergarten dance classes in Harlem for kindergartners and first graders. And so that was sort of one of my day jobs at the time. And so I really got to know this school, which is PS 154 in Harlem. And as I got to know them, and as I was working at Change for Kids, I managed to persuade the good folks over at Change for Kids to bring us to all the schools that they work in, bringing programming like ours. So in one fell swoop, we were in a uh, public school in Queens, a public school in Harlem, public school in the Bronx, and another one in Hell's Kitchen. That was the start of our in-school programming. And from there, we did a show every week for like a million years and slowly met every parent and teacher that we know now. God, it's a, it's. It's fascinating to me that you use the phrase like pound the pavement, like that you didn't know how to do that um, in what I'm guessing is more of the like business sense of becoming yeah. a performer. But then you were mm-hmm. able to literally pound the pavement <laughs> every week. And I saw some footage, like if you if our listeners go to YouTube and you look up Story Pirates, <laughs> like you can find footage of them at some of these schools, and I was just thinking, like, this is so incredible. The kids have, like, this twinkle in their eye. They're so—it's like they are experiencing magic. And at the same time, I was thinking, oh, my God, this looks like so much work. Like, how did they even get, like, the props to these schools? (laughs) (laughs) On the subway. We took it all on the subway. (laughs) And we had these big freaking— heavy metal poles that we would put up our set with and we would cart them on the subway. It was dangerous <laughs> and heavy. Yeah. But but yeah, like, it's funny. I, I always frame the story as like, I was too lazy or dumb to know how to be a professional actor or director, but but I wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't lazier or dumb in some ways uh, in in building story pirates. It it just seemed clear what to do, which was mm. be as awesome as you can. As a parent, we want to raise you know creative and engaged kids. And so, mm-hmm. what do you remember from your childhood? I know that we both grew up in Houston, and I'm curious, mm. like, what do you remember from your childhood <laughs> that like put you on this path? Uh, that's a really good question. It's hard to avoid <laughs> psychoanalyzing myself 
as to why I would create a company all about bringing kids' ideas to life. Um, and I think something that, you know, as I think a lot of kids have, you have your ups and downs in terms of feeling like what you bring to the table is being celebrated <laughs> or mm -hmm. welcomed, you know? And, and I had some incredible teachers that celebrated and saw something in me. And, and I feel super grateful for those teachers because that is the, that was the spark was when someone believes in you, you become instantly more capable of something mm -hmm. of, of more things. Mm -hmm. And, and I think when we sort of got out of college and started to see what our public schools are going through and the challenges that they have to overcome every day. We saw a lot of kids who didn't have the opportunities that we had growing up mm -hmm. speaking just for myself, just like a wealth of wonderful teachers and resources and schools. Um, I went to public schools growing up, but they were all really amazing. And not every school has the resources that I had Where in Houston did you grow up? I grew up on the southwest side, so like the Memorial Wilcrest okay. area. Yeah. I went to Stratford High School. Gotcha. Yeah. There were a lot of like kickers, I feel like, at Stratford, right? There were a lot of guys and like, <laughs> am I wrong? Yes, there were. In no, khaki you're pants? Not <laughs> yeah. A lot of khaki yep, pants and cowboy yep. boots there. Um, I, was I have not heard kickers in a while. <laughs> That's... I was I was on the other side of town. I was at HSPVA, the high school for performing and visual arts, and uh, I was going to guess that yeah. you went to HSPVA. I'm so jealous of you. You should be because the other side is like I wanted that experience. Yeah, and the people that I know in the city now, and let me, I'm sure you know this. There is like an HSPVA. There is a group in the city of people That's that so went cool. there that are awesome, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm like. Man, I I wanted that. That looked great. Well, it's so crazy because you ended up creating it for yourself just a little later. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that with Northwestern, because I could just like list off 10 people right now that I'm sure you know. And that to me yeah. felt like an education that actually could, you know, bridge the classroom to, uh, you know, making it as a professional. Circling back to what you were saying about the seeing in the classroom that even though we both went to public schools, there are so many underserved schools because it feels like funding just continues to get cut. Like there are, there are no arts in schools. I toured some for my daughter for next year. And I was like, but where's the like art room? And there isn't one. Right. Uh, which felt shocking to me uh, because I went to a public elementary school and that was one of my favorite places to be was in that art room. So yeah. I'm not going to ask about the secret to the longevity of S Story Pirates because, like, clearly there's an unmet need that will continue to be unmet. Mm -hmm. But what is the secret to your stamina? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, wow. That's a, I mean, first of all, there's so many, like, compliments in that question, which I am grateful for. So thank you for <laughs> So uh, for buttressing my stamina or lack thereof, <laughs> depending on the day. Mm. But um, well, that's also nice to hear, though. Yeah, that like there are days when you're not, 
you know, the Lee Overtree that we hear on Story Pirates <laughs> necessarily with mm-hmm. like endless energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that I'll say is that like as hard as it's been at times to build this, A, there have been incredible people alongside that have inspired me every step of the way. Like people from the very beginning who aren't around anymore to the new story pirates that show up all the time. Um, they're incredible creative artists and, and something that I always wanted as well growing up was a community of like-minded artists. And, and it's like as much as this is for the kids and the families, it's also for us. And we do it because we like making stuff together. It is like, profoundly selfish in a lot of ways (laughs) we just we like making stuff and this is a thing that we know how to do and we like doing on the other hand the piece that on the really hard days the thing that we have that I feel really lucky about is that we get to hear from kids and parents and teachers about the impact of story pirates and on their lives and I don't think everybody gets what we get in that respect. We get letters and voicemails and emails and and messages and handwritten notes and and it is it is profoundly moving to see what you can do to a child's life by applying your creativity to amplifying their voice. And and parents and teachers tell us all the time that we have helped reluctant readers turn the corner um, and reluctant writers and that this is an experience that they'll never forget and that will stay with them and that they can really build upon in terms of education and what makes life a thing that's great, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like we talk about learning and education in terms of like, well, how do we get kids to where they need to be to compete? But but the real, my real feeling is that education is about teaching you how to enjoy life. And if you can enjoy learning and if expressing yourself is something that is important to you and that you feel confident in doing, then you're going to be happier. I truly believe that. And, and when it boils down to, to it. That's what we're trying to do. And the impact of it, we get to see every day. And that's fuel for stamina. It it helps you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself, which is also a real important ingredient in, in, in this world, which it can be hard to feel that way sometimes. In doing this for over 14 years, and with what you're saying with the letters and everything, have any of these kids grown up and then like blamed you for pursuing a career in the arts? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm waiting for some uh, some some uh, some letters from from parents yeah. who are paying for theater school. I know um, <laughs> that old cash cow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know. Oh my god, being a theater major in college, it was like, of course, like liberal arts nightmare. college. <laughs> 
<laughs> like that it should have been a sign because they wouldn't let me take journalism. There, there was like a five college yeah. consortium next to, I went to Smith and so, but they would not like let me take journalism at UMass because that's considered like an occupation, not or a trade. And so I was like, but I'm a theater major and I'm going to like be a professional theater person. And that should have probably been my red flag. Wow. When you create this content that, by the way, thank you so much for all of this supplemental um, information you guys get or tools you give parents and teachers for how to create a story. Like there's all these brainstorming techniques and those are Mm -hmm. also shared in your books and then they're shared in special like extra podcasts that you guys have out there. Um, But I'm curious about like how do you create content that is entertaining for kids and adults? Because you do it better than anyone. And I, I know that you guys have your background in improv and you obviously have like your adult theater lives, but like how are you able to do that? (laughs) <laughs> Once again, your question's full of compliments. Thank well, I'm a you. really mean person. Um, I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sound cruel. Um, the uh, I, I, the answer to that, how do we do it? Like, what's our approach? You're just you guys are so funny. I mean, you guys each have your own thing. Like, yeah. So, but give us a couple like secrets okay. for how you build out these worlds so that we are as entertained as our children are. There's really only one secret and it's not a secret. And it's something that I heard the guys from Monty Python say once, mm-hmm. which is they weren't thinking of their audience when they were making their comedy. They were trying to make their friends laugh. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, if you look at all the great comedy groups over time with that knowledge, it's what I realize is that they're all doing that. They're not trying to make some invisible, hard to suss out audience member laugh. They're, they're really trying to like make their friend break who's standing right next to them on stage. And that's the same with us. Like, of course, we are interested in what kids want to hear. And of course, we are sensitive to all the things that come with creating family entertainment in a way that is successful and approachable and appropriate, like all that stuff factors into it. But the number one thing is making each other laugh. Because I think if you're doing that, that's where the joy comes from. And so much children's entertainment is trying to force feed kids what they think kids want or what they think kids should want. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, And the same is true with education. And it's a cliche, but I really don't see a difference between the two. Um, and so what we're trying to do differently is, is ask kids directly, like, what story do you want to see? And then we're trying to enjoy ourselves with our friends that we're making it with. And that's it. How do you decide which stories to create? So for listeners, like, you guys will get stories submitted uh-huh. for the podcast and then you pick one, you read that story that the child has written, and then you perform their story either as like a sketch comedy or as a a musical theater event, <laughs> like a <Yeah>. real <laughs> big production. And then you call that yep. child and you talk to them about like the impetus for the story. And so yep. 
how do you choose which story to produce? Well, it's it's hard there because there are so many, and we get tens of thousands a year now. Wow! Between programs and between online submissions, but the first thing is that we really, really don't see it as a contest. We're not trying to pick a winner, and and I hope that comes across in the spirit of everything we do. Is that it? Really, is a celebration of all kids writing. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think kids get that more than adults sometimes. Mm-hmm. Parents will be worried about um, how a child will feel if they don't have their story chosen. Mm-hmm. And and you talk to kids, and kids are like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, there's so many of them. Like, you know, I just, I'm doing this because I want to do it. And And that's the important thing, I think, is like, you're not submitting to a contest, you're you're sort of like joining a creative writing revolution <laughs> where you're like you're doing it for the fun of doing it. And that's what we're trying to get across. But, but how we pick the stories that we do. To is, turn this is, into yeah. a contest. Cause I really want my daughter to get her. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah. there are certain very important rules to follow. Is there a um, lobbyist I can reach out to? Or? <laughs> yes, Exactly. It's uh, the way we choose them is is the way any artist chooses what they're going to work on on any given day, which is what's resonating with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, what is what what sparks your eye? And then, of course, we're trying to balance all different kinds of kids as much mm-hmm. as we can. So, like, if we had a if I have an ep- a story written by a boy on on an episode, I'm gonna look. To, you know, make sure that we have a girl as well Mm -hmm. and um, different age groups. Like we really try not to get stuck in in preschool or older kids. We try to mix it around and and show that like we can all enjoy all of these stories no matter what age the author is. Mm -hmm. So I should mention to my listeners that I have met you in person once. Uh (laughs) It was at the drama. Yes, book you ambushed shop. me. I ambushed you. So, um, <laughs> oh my god, I have to share this because it's just so insane. So, my listeners know I went to New York, and it was really fun. And I ended up interviewing um, Casey Levy, who plays Elsa in Frozen on yes. Broadway. And I got to interview Mike Birbiglia about his one man show called The New One about being a reluctant dad. And I saw, I swear, I saw on your website, because we're big fans, that Story Pirates was doing a show. And I was like, oh my God, we have our Friday morning open. It's like, Sabrina, do you want to go to Story Pirates? She was so excited. She gets on the subway for the very first time because she's going to go to a Story Pirates show. Like we get to the, (laughs) get to the drama bookshop. And then I was like, where's the story pirates? They're like, up the stairs. And so we go, we walk up these stairs. It's me and my little five-year-old who is clutching her American doll that she got like two days before with her grandmother at Rockefeller Center. We're like standing there and it's a bunch of young people on their laptops. And I was like, where's the show? And they were like, it's tomorrow. They're like, there's no show. There's no show. And I realized – 
I, I would like to say that's out of character for me. It's totally not. But now that I'm a mom, it's like I'm suddenly my scatterbrainness is like like affects my child. <laughs> it was so bad. I stood there and I was kind of like, look, they're working on story pirates right now. Like I was trying to like create an experience out of the moment, like kind of like a site specific oh, theater no. thing. Like this is what people do in New York. <laughs> And oh she wasn't gosh. buying it, and but they were very sweet to me. <laughs> and then you walked up the stairs, and it was so cool because it was like the Wizard of Oz and like seeing the man behind the curtain. But instead <laughs> of it realizing that like you were a jerk or something behind the curtain, to realize that you are like just as sincere and as oh. interested in what children have to say, like when you're not recording, like when some whacked out mom shows up in the middle of your work day <laughs> and you sit on the ground with my daughter and you start asking her questions about her favorite episodes. And it was just so oh. sweet and so endearing. And Sabrina was so happy. I mean, she was upset at the end when we were leaving she was like well i mean wh where are rachel and megan i was like i don't know <laughs> but it, we, she, got a, so nice. she got a t-shirt and it was so sweet and so as someone who really cares about what kids have to say which you clearly do when mm. you reflect back like on your childhood or even in college like who is someone that made you feel really seen as a human being well I always think of my ninth grade teacher, and I know that's probably a little older than you're thinking of, no. but my ninth grade English teacher, Mrs. Smith, was so awesome. And she immediately recognized that, like, I wanted to play, right? Yeah. Like, there were, there were classroom situations in which I was quiet and didn't do anything. And then there were classroom situations where I was, like, probably a little class clowny. And then, but Mrs. Smith realized that she could, she could harness what I was bringing to the table and sort of, she, she, she made me like a co-conspirator with mm -hmm. her in the classroom experience and, and recognized that like, I wasn't trying to disrupt. I was trying to, um, I, was, I don't know what I was trying to do, but she turned it into enhancement and, mm. and we played together, you know, the way that, and that sense of play is often missing with adults because they're yeah. afraid or they're tired, right? <laughs> like yeah. we're all so tired all the time. It can be hard to be open enough to, to, to say to a child, like, let's play. And, and I mean, play in sort of like, a broader mm -hmm. sense than like, you know, playing with action figures or, or cars or dolls or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. And I think it's like, I am again, geeking out because, you know, you're a faculty member of the National Theater Institute at the Eugene O'Neill Theater <laughs> Center, which is, um, yeah, you talk about like learning how to play. And so that's a semester-long conservatory training program. And famous alums include John Krasinski, Jennifer Garner, Ellie Noss of Atomic Rom's podcast. And I think there are just so many similarities between being a young artist, like learning how to play, and being a new parent, like when we're doing it when it feels good, besides like the gaining the weight and like wearing sweatpants all the time and not sleeping much, mm -hmm. like there, 
and having no idea what's going on in the outside world. Um, yeah. When I am fully immersed as a parent, as I was when I was studying at this incredible school that you're on the faculty of, I was so fully immersed in what I was doing. And I was reintroduced to the exhilaration of play and, like, the messy process and the importance mm. of relationship, like, truly hearing and sensing and taking in the other person. And um, mm. my scene partner these days is 18 months old, but, like, you have to improvise <laughs> constantly. And so, yeah. like, as a teacher of improvisation, like, someone who can teach adults and children how to play, like with very little, right? Like with little tools, like just our imagination, uh -huh. maybe two chairs. Like is there is there a warm-up that parents could do with their kids tonight to make them mm. feel more connected or loosen up a little bit? Because I love that even in this YouTube video mm. that I saw of like the school in Harlem where you guys were workshopping with the kids in the classroom, like you guys were doing fun, silly warm-ups like before you would start putting pen to paper. Wow, that's a hard one. <laughs> Come on, you Lee, you're a faculty bed? member. <laughs> oh, oh no. Come on, what about like? Well, in, in, go on. Go ahead. No, I don't. You do it. I quit theater. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, improv is just such a funny thing for me because I've done it. I did it for so long, and yes, I teach it. But I think my like reputation around story pirates is to like be a little bit of a grump about improv sometimes. Okay. Be <laughs> so it is, um, it is like a slightly complicated thing. I love improv as like a tool mm -hmm. for creation. If I am to attempt to answer your question would be my, my approach is that you are already doing everything you need to do every day in order to be a successful improviser. Being an improviser means living and responding honestly and openly and paying attention to the mm -hmm. people that you're around. Mm -hmm. So my advice would be like, you don't have to speak right away, <laughs> right? You, you can That's take so a deep breath yeah. and then you can take two and you can look at each other and you can listen to each other and then you go from there and there's no wrong. There's no, there's no way to mess it up it really is for everyone. And it's a lot simpler than you think you do it every day. And I would say the same thing with parents, Just take a deep breath and connect. I'm sorry. I don't have a game. No. Now. Well, what about like zip, zap, zop? I don't know. People can look stuff up online. <laughs> There's just those games have rules. It's hard. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, a, I'll brag about a moment I had uh, a few days ago, which I feel like I improvised <laughs> because my 18-month-old Eliza hates her high chair. So I embraced sure. the scrappiness that I learned in the theater world, and mm. I turned an Amazon box over. <laughs> And then I threw down a plastic sheet. My five-year-old was also going to, like, sit with us. So I Spotified some traditional Japanese music. And I, <laughs> I like, very discreetly Google searched, like, National Geographic Kids Facts about Japan. And so we, like, listened to Japanese music. And I was, like, spouting off these facts that I was, like, secretly looking at my phone for about, like, how people in Japan will, like, sit on the floor to eat. And so we were sitting and the table was this Amazon box. And, like, they sat there the whole meal. 
And I was like, God, like I, I can make something out of nothing. You know, money doesn't have to be involved. Like the best equipment doesn't have to be involved. Like you can mm. have very little supplies. But kids are so hungry for information if it's like provided to them in kind of like a sensorial, like theatrical experience, like by having mm. the music and by having them sitting and like they became more engaged. And that is something I never would have done if I had, if my parents hadn't spent all of that money on my <laughs> BA in theater. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun. I love that. I mean, and just being free to not free to throw out the rule book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, it's an Amazon and box. It was working. Yeah. And so you kept doing it, <laughs> right? <laughs> if it hadn't been working, you would have tried something else. And just trusting in that and not being afraid of, you know, the the being wrong or being right. Like there is no right or wrong. There's just stuff we do. And you just have to trust yourself that you're gonna you're gonna make an honest choice. It's so beautiful. So in closing, you must tell us about your brand new book, Digging Up Danger. Penguin Random House sent me the galley actually yesterday. I was like, well, this is perfect timing because I'm talking to Lee today. And my daughter took it with her to preschool in her backpack. So I want you to share (laughs) with us. (laughs) So I only had a second to flip through before she left for school today. But um, it's really cool because it also teaches kids how to like write their own detective mystery. Is that correct? That's right. The first thing you need to know about the book is that like everything we do, it's based on an idea from a real kid. In this case, a 10-year-old from New York named Phoebe Wallinets. Phoebe sent us this idea for a story that would be about a mother-daughter detective team that are investigating a potentially haunted plant shop in Brooklyn it's called Digging Up Danger. So we took Phoebe's idea and we gave it to a New York Times bestselling novelist whose name is Jacqueline West, who's incredible. And Jacqueline turned it into a whole book for middle grade readers. And it's funny, it's edge of your seat, it's spooky, and it's super cozy. (laughs) It's a great Mm -hmm. book in its own right. But the thing about the book that really sort of, for me keeps the promise of story pirates is the back of the book has a whole big section called the mystery creation zone and the mystery creation zone annotates the novel with creative writing lessons, tips, tricks, you know, graphic organizers, places for you to create your own characters, your own mystery and sort of teaches the structure of the mystery throughout the book. It's really fascinating stuff. If you're a storyteller of any age, I can't tell you how much you're going to like this mystery creation zone because, and I can say that because I didn't write it. Our education director, Quentin Johnson, wrote it and who also went to Northwestern and is a, is a curricular genius. And the storytelling, the way he breaks storytelling down in this section is fascinating and so cool. 
Well, Lee, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for coming on this podcast. Everyone, you can get Digging Up Danger wherever books are sold. And I really appreciate how, you guys, this is what I love about Story Pirates. He, <laughs> when you talk about Digging Up Danger, like in the little promos on the podcast, you're always like, or hit up your independent bookstore, which I think is like yes. so sweet. So anyway, Pick that up, subscribe on iTunes or, you know, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe both to Story Pirates and to Atomic Moms, but Story Pirates' brand new season is coming out this week. Also, check out their website at storypirates.com, and you can go to atomicmoms.com for our show notes. Please leave a written review for both of our podcasts. We super, super appreciate it, and it helps new listeners find us. Lee, thanks again. Super appreciate it. Thank you, Ellie. I loved doing this. Thank you for having me. This is so cool. Okay, listeners, until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. Mm-hmm.